This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Welcome to the It Was a Thing on TV podcast, episode 14, submission 005, Super Train. Super Train aired on NBC and ran from February 7th of 1979 to May 5th of 1979 for nine episodes. All aboard! That was Chico, by the way, but um, we, we didn't play the theme first. We'll get to the theme a little bit later because there's a lot to break down there. Greg's here, too. Say hi to the nice people, Greg. Hi to the nice people, Greg. Good job. You get a cookie. And I'm Mike Klaus, and this is bad. This is a bad show. Oh, God. So, so Super Train, where do we start? Well, we'll start with its origins. There was a a, a two-hour TV movie, and, oh, mercy, was that a, a, a slog and a half. But um, I, I sort of wonder why they just did the TV movie to begin with, because they committed so much money to this, you knew that the series was inevitable. Well, the series, well, the two-hour movie was actually a pilot for the TV series. Yeah, but they still, I mean, if it's a pilot, they still built this train and all this other stuff. I mean, you're sort of you know, committed if... Yeah, this, is pretty, this was pretty much a straight-to-series order that uh, eventually became part of uh, a legacy for NBC at the time. Which we'll get to in a little bit. But uh, the big thing for NBC was they didn't outsource this to another production company. They did everything in-house. And the reason for that was financial. Super Train was surely going to succeed. You had Fred Silverman behind it, and you saw the popularity of the love boat. So you know what? This can't fail. Enter laugh track here. So, yeah, so, so the, since they thought this is going to be this mega super hit following in the footsteps of Love Boat, they're going to reap the profits of syndication and maybe some sort of you know, product licensing or uh, you know, selling it overseas. And they did actually sell it overseas. Yeah, they, they sold it to the BBC, but it they, was so rubbish. Yeah, they, they, they sold it to the Beeb. And we're not talking Justin Bieber. We're talking the BBC. And then they sold it for $25,000 an episode. But, as Chico said, it was so rubbish it didn't inherit. it. Yeah. So, good job whiffing there, NBC. Even the, even the Brits have standards. They're like, no, we're not going to have our people suffer through this. And on top of that, just the costs of this train, we've seen different numbers. The number we heard was $5 million, but in doing research for this week, because you know, we do a minimal amount of research, I saw numbers of $7 million and $12 million. And those aren't inflation-adjusted numbers. These are numbers that I found uh, in the early 80s doing some search uh in some archives. So 
$12 million for this, this giant train that had to fit in two uh, studios. That's how big the set was. It had to fit in two studios. <laughs> it, it was... I mean, it was doomed to fail. I mean, just looking at it. And, and they made not just the big model. They made two smaller models for different scenes. They made a roughly one-tenth scale model, uh, one and a quarter inches to the foot. Uh, and what that did was it created realistic medium distance details. And then for long shots, they had a version of the Super Train at a one-quarter inch to a foot scale, one-forty-eighth uh, scale. Uh, and it was actually on a giant track, the the, uh, the the little, the miniature train, the baby of all three. It was on a train in Los Angeles, an outside location in Los Angeles. And it had miniature towns and landscapes. And it was, the track was 3,000 feet long so that's over half a mile of this little toy train again huge expenses i mean they, they really went all out uh and actually now that i look i see a fourth number so we had five million seven million twelve million now i see ten million dollars who well, did accounting is- at nbc in 1979 well why are we getting four vastly different numbers and actually, there's a fifth number. I heard somebody say six million. Five million, six million, seven million, ten million, twelve million. Are there no, like, accounting practices at NBC where somebody can go back and look at the ledger and say, oh, Super Train, it cost $5.2 million. Why are we seeing numbers like 12 million? Mike, That's this accounting. Mike, this was 1979. This was the time when John Belushi was doing coke in the lobby of 30 Rock. And, and he I mean, must have been doing the books, too, while he was at it. I mean, cripes, I took two accounting classes when I was an accounting major, and I did a better job. What the heck? Seriously. Okay. All right, now that we've thoroughly triggered Mike, um, the, obviously the star of the show is... The train. Yes, the super train. That's a problem. I got, uh, well, the, the, I know the, the, the train is the star in this case, but the boat on Love Boat, was that necessarily the star of Love Boat? No, the star of the Love Boat were the stars. Everybody else was just secondary. But right. they made a point. They made a point on, on like almost every episode to stress just how incredibly decadent this train was. It's got everything. It's got a disco and a pool and a bordello. It doesn't got, really have a bordello. I got a question. Why does a moving train have a pool? Why does a moving train have a pool? And, and and why does this train, for as lavish and extravagant as it is, why doesn't it have aisles wide enough for more than one person at a time? Well, uh, let me tell you, Mike, it runs on Time Lord technology. Well, I get it's like a TARDIS. I fully get that. It's bigger on the inside, but it wasn't big enough for, like, aisles where two people can go through? Nope. Come on. Okay. You if, have to have all that room for rooms. Well, but... The, 
Well, I mean, the sleeping quarters aren't that big on most of these trains unless they're giving people, you know, small bedrooms, like spare bedrooms. But, I mean, 22 feet, you could put in two small bedrooms and you'd still have, realistically, maybe five feet of, of space in the aisle. No, like I said, this is ridiculous. I'm just... It, it, it seems good on paper, but it's not really realistic. Well, I mean, that may be half the point. It's not realistic. But, okay, yeah, the train, what if the train has to stop all of a sudden and you're in the pool? You're going to get such a tidal wave, it's going to splash water. Wave pool. You're, you're going to get chlorine in your eyes. It's going to start rusting out the, uh, the, 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 part, the metal parts of the train because of that splashing. Yeah, that's a problem. You know, I can understand, I can understand if it's a jacuzzi, but not a full-size pool. Yeah, it's a lawsuit waiting to happen. That's oh, why they that. have the computer. That's why they have the computer on board announcing attention. May I have your attention, please? Super Trade will be stopping in thirty minutes. Probably a signal. Okay, everybody out of the pool. Yeah, and I mean, was there even a lifeguard at the pool? I mean, how uncertified was this? You didn't see anybody in the opening credits as, you know, Chet the lifeguard? Uh, no, we just saw the two personal... Let's see, we saw the two personal trainers. We saw the conductor. We saw the porter. We saw whatever uh, Michael Delano does. Okay, space and, filler. <laughs> and, 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 and you did have Charlie Brill as sort of like a hairdresser. Because they had, obviously, some sort of salon on board. You have to have some sort of salon on board if you're going to the disco later that night. But, yeah, I mean, it... Uh, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I'm just going to... That's going to be this episode. It's going to be, like, subtitled, I don't get it. I don't can, get it. Can we get into the insane amount of promotion NBC tried to do with the Today Show. Oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. Because Gene Shalit, as 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 much as he was one of the preeminent film critics of our age, he is a company man. I oh, mean, he was a company man. Oh, yes. Oh, he is showing the absolute crap for Super Train. And then we get into the report by Jack Perkins. It's only ten more years before biography, Jack, so hold it together. Telling us, <laughs> normally I interview the stars of the new shows on NBC, but I can't do it in this case because the star in this case is a train. It's a train. Did, did Jack Perkins interview Mr. Smith? I would, I would, I hope to God that there's a clip somewhere in the NBC News archives where... Jack Perkins is interviewing Leonard Fry and Mr. Smith. I can only pray. Oh, I don't care about Leonard Fry. I just care about Mr. Smith. But yeah, they did a piece, like a seven-minute piece on today. Oh, and be sure to watch Super Train premiering tonight on NBC. Some, folks didn't, was... some folks didn't get the message. Mm. No, they were busy uh, going, my God, that train is huge. You know, that, that's not even the biggest problem I have with the clip. The biggest problem I have with the clip is that is Tom Brokaw narrating the scene with Houston, Texas to that 
weird Sesame Street sounding music. It's like, what the hell is this? It's called late 70s. I know, but I'm like, what is this? Where's, when I hear this music, I'm thinking, where's Bert and Ernie? Where's Big Bird? Why am I looking at a skyscraper, skyline of Houston? Some questions cannot be answered. No. So, yeah, I mean, NBC, like, put everything they could towards this. And they gave it, they gave it everything they got on this show. Oh, yes. And, and we're going to get into um, some of the changes that happened over time a little bit later. The one thing, and I, I told Chico and Greg this earlier, that was really lacking on Super Train was they didn't really have the star power that you had on Love Boat. You had Bernie Capel, and we know what he brings to the table. Fred Grandy, I believe, was reasonably new to the uh, business at the time. This is like his first major show, but Bernie Capel had been on Get Smart and uh, a number of other shows before then. Uh-huh. And 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 so you you had these star these known quantities on Love Boat. There were known quantities on Super Train, but the other names just weren't familiar, really. So the person, oh, first we've got to start off with, with the, the pilot, the person who built the super train. I'm doing this for Greg because, uh, yes. oh, yeah, Greg, Greg like ranted and raved about this the other night. So the person that built the super train, or at least the 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 the, the business that uh, created the super train, tell them uh, who it was and and the whole story behind that. Yes, the creator of the Super Train was the actor Keenan Wynn. Now, Keenan Wynn you might know as the villain Alonzo P. Hawk in various Disney movies like the the, uh, Absent-Minded Professor. He was kind of like the prototypical Thanos of his day. He would kind of just randomly show up in these Disney movies as this this villain Alonzo Hawk. It was was really something. Greg is an expert on Disney movie villains, by the way. And also, his name isn't just Keenan Wynn. His full name is Francis Xavier Aloysius James Jeremiah Keenan Wynn. Yeah, if you want to play a big-ass villain in a Disney movie, you have to have, like, a real name. The, the seven name rules in effect. Yes. So, Keenan Wynn plays Winfield Root, the chairman at the fictitious Trans-Ally Corporation, and he mentions to his board at a meeting he will create the first transcontinental railroad that will be capable of going from New York to Los Angeles in 36 hours. And then a guy says, you know, Winfield, I think you're letting your psychotic fascination with railroads put you into a suicidal gamble with this company. And so Winfield Root's like, "Uh uh-huh, is that a bet? Well, guess what, folks? Here's a painting of the super train. And he reveals it, and they're like, oh, my God, this is incredible. That's how you win a room. Just, just, wait. This is, like, it's like, bitch, challenge accepted, let's go. Well, also, uh, also, I think he he sold it on, it was an atom-powered steam turbine. Yeah. Because technically, isn't everything, like, atom-powered? Well, not in that sense, but, you know, everything is made up of atoms. Never mind, I'm, I'm not a science teacher. But so, yeah, and then uh, 22 months later, it made its maiden voyage out of Grand Central Terminal, New York City. 
Now, here's the thing I don't get. I've taken a train to New York City before. You don't go to Grand Central. You go You go to Penn Station. You leave out of Penn yeah. Station. Yeah, that's where the action is. That's where if you want to go to the Madison Square Garden, baby, you go to Penn Station. Yeah, you go to Penn Station, and if you want to take anywhere... You want to take the train anywhere that is not New York City... You go out of Penn Station. You don't go out of Grand Central. Well, I, I'm going to offer why it was probably chosen. Grand Central Station, I think, is more popular than Penn Station, even though Penn Station may be more worthwhile. Got to go for a name. True. Yeah. So, uh, also about Trans-Allied Corporation, Greg said that Winfield Root was the chairman of this company. Who else was employed by the Trans-Allied Corporation. I see your hand, Greg. Mr. Drummond. Mr. Dr uh, Drummond from uh, from Different Strokes. And what does that mean, Greg? That means that Super Train takes place in the same universe as Hello, Larry. <laughs> Super Train is part of the Tommy Westfall universe. Exactly. Well, that too. But, but, okay, but yeah, I mean, not only is it in the Tommy Westfall universe, but you're right. Since uh, Different Strokes and Hello Larry had crossover episodes and they're in the same universe, as, as uh, if you will, then Super Train has to be in that universe, too. So you're saying Super Train doesn't exist, then? Super Train is a figment of Tommy Westfall's imagination. That would explain so much. And wouldn't that also make NBC part of Tommy Westfall's imagination? So, so Tommy Westfall almost made NBC go bankrupt because of this. And Tommy so Westfall's a tyrant. Yeah, that Chad Allen, he's evil. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the cast of the show. Uh, there's a few names you've heard. Uh, uh, Edward Andrews was uh, Harry Flood. The conductor of the Super Train. Yeah, the conductor. And Patrick Collins was Dave Noonan. Who was sort of the uh, social director. Kind of, sort of, yeah. Kind of, sort of. Okay, one name that's somewhat familiar. Harrison Page. He was George Boone. The porter. Yeah, this is this is this is where you have the sort of PC police come because you got the only black dude on the cast and he's the porter. And then you have Robert Alda, uh, Alan's father, who played Doctor Dan Lewis. Because every good train needs a doctor. Absolutely. Nina Talbot was Rose Casey, the uh, nurse to Doctor Lewis. I do believe so. Erica Wells was Gilda, and Bill Knuckles was Wally. Bill uh, Knuckles? Bill, yes, Bill Knuckles. He who played Hawkman on Future Induction Legends of the Superheroes. And, and they were uh, sort of the fitness instructors on the, the uh, super train. And then Michael Delano as Lou Atkins... And here's another name that people will recognize. Charlie Brill is Robert. And they were sort of running the um, the hair salon. There's a hair salon uh, aboard the train. 
Well, if you're going to the disco, you need to get your hair game. You need to get your hair did. You got that right. You got to look good for that uh, that disco. Yeah. And then, at least in the first episode, there's a number of of big guest stars. Steve Lawrence, but not with Edie Gourmet. Interestingly, uh, interestingly enough, Steve Lawrence was by himself on this. Uh, you had uh, we mentioned Keenan Wynn as Winfield Root as as the chairman. Uh, of Trans Allied Corporation. Ron Masak, he was on this uh, first episode. He of, you would recognize him from uh, Vlasic Pickles. Season. Yeah, well, I remember. Well, well, for, uh, yeah, I remember him from, from being the Vlasic Pickles stork. But uh, what were you going to say? The first season of One Day at a Time with uh, as uh, Anne Romano's ex-husband. I may be wrong on that, but. I just remember him from Pickles. What can I say? It's a big deal to me. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. Go to your room and think about what you've done, Mike. I, I, I'm already regretting it right now. And then Dandy Don Meredith was Rick Prince. Vicki Lawrence. She was Karen Prince. George Hamilton was on the super train. And then you had a bunch of people who don't have sources on Wikipedia. <laughs> Hold up. Stella Stevens and Fred Williamson were also in on the super train. Oh, Stella Stevens. Yeah, she's somebody. I'm sorry. She and, was a person on TV. And, of course, Fred Williamson. So you have two former Monday Night Football personalities on the super train. And even they couldn't save the super train. That's sad. And then in episode two, a couple more names that you've recognized. Larry Linville, another MASH alumnus. Dick Van Dyke, there's a big name. And Barbara Rhodes, she was a name that floated around quite a bit in the late 70s. And there's like nobody on episode three. That's probably why it didn't do as well, because there was nobody on episode three. You need, and, and, if there's and, nobody on episode three, then you've already lost everybody. And really, four and five as well. Uh, episode six, Joyce DeWitt, Isabel Sanford, and Tony Danza. Yeah, awesome. uh, interesting thing about episode six, because... NBC wasn't getting the return that they were looking for on Super Train. They actually had to pull it for massive retooling. Yeah, but also in episode six, there's a promo on YouTube, and also Bernie Capel, the aforementioned Bernie Capel, appeared on this episode, as well as, amazingly, Vic Tut. Vic Tabak. <laughs> Vic Tabak and Jamie Four. And, and, Mac and Mako. And he of uh, Samurai Jack fame. Yeah. I'm going to make an observation before we go on to the last few episodes. Have you noticed that most every celebrity on Super Train was on a show on another network? Tony yes. Danza would have been on Taxi. And Isabel Sanford was on, uh, on The Jeffersons, Jeffersons. obviously. And Joyce DeWitt was on Three's Company. And Larry Linville was on MASH. Why couldn't they have gotten somebody from within? 
I mean, I know, I know times were thin at NBC in, in 79, but really? You really wanted McLean Stevenson on the Super Train? Hold up, hold up, Mike. You skipped episode four because because <clears throat> there were two notable guest stars on that episode. Okay, I didn't see what I'm reading. Okay. It wasn't, it was, yeah, because it did listen on with TPA. But that's the episode that features Billy Bordy along with Loretta Swit. Oh, jeez. And do you want me to, to explain the plot of episode four? There's a lot to break down in episode four. Go for it. Okay. Well, oh, boy. I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to play the promo for episode four right here. On this week's Super Train Mystery, hail to the chief. Two dwarfs and a magician replace a presidential candidate with a double so real, even his wife can't tell. JJ, all I want to do right now is go on Super Train. Yes, folks, you are not just hearing things. That is the plot of Episode 4 right there in a nutshell. Two dwarves and a magician replace a presidential candidate. So, that was so real that even his wife, played by Loretta Swit, cannot tell. When I showed this pot, this clip from this episode to, to a notable person by the name of Derek, his response was, after watching the promo, I couldn't do it. The title of the show coming in like the goddamn Superman logo in a cartoon is what got me. He could not make it through one second. He saw the he saw the logo pop up Super Train. He was like, nope, nope, I'm done. No. I at least lasted the whole episode, even though it took me about ten minutes to skim through it. <clears throat> well, let me ask you something. Those dwarves... Were they Greg and John Rice by any chance? Oh, jeez. What? Uh, you needed a dwarf in the 70s? You go to Greg and John Rice. And if Super Train was around till the 90s, they would have tried selling you on real estate. Oh, jeez. And uh, the, the final episode, Barry Gordon and Rue McClanahan were uh, guests. Now, admittedly, Rue McClanahan wasn't really on a show at this time because... You had Maud, which got canceled the previous year, or not necessarily canceled, but ended the previous year in 78. And you wouldn't have her going to Mama's Family or Golden Girls until 83 and 85, respectively. Which would just be sad. So, yeah, it, it just doesn't have the, the star power that Love Boat would have, because you'd have the guests running for, like, like a, it seemed like two minutes on every episode, and you'd be like, oh, I know who that is. I know who Elaine Joyce is. Oh, there's Gene Rayburn. And, oh, look at that. There's you know, all these stars that you recognize, and they just didn't have it on this. No, they but, did not. But also, in addition, something else that hurt besides the lack of name stars, not just name stars, but a mass quantity of name stars, the changes. Oh, boy. Yeah. So NBC didn't like that um, they were getting what Dan Curtis had promised that he would bring to the table. So they fired him. They brought in Robert Stambler, and they basically redid the whole show. They brought him in to and redid the whole show to emphasize intrigue 
and suspense basically make the entire show into an hour-long murder on the Orient Express. And then when that didn't work, (laughs) for the final episode, they actually added a laugh track. So now you're sort of getting even closer to Love Boat territory. So now it's not really Murder on the Orient Express. It's now Love Boat on a Train. It's sort of a comedy and sort of a drama. It's a a dramedy like a decade before 30-something. So, yeah, they didn't know what they were doing. And uh, on top of that, like, everybody except Harrison Page and Robert Alda got fired. And, and, Ed, and Edward Andrews. Yeah, well, like, everybody except, like, two or three people got fired about halfway through the run, about episode four, episode five. And they brought aboard a new staff. And really, the only name that I recognized on the new staff was Eileen Graff who would go on to play uh, Bob Euchre's wife on uh, on Mr. Belvedere. But yeah, I mean, they just tried everything. They tried a new uh, two-thirds of the staff being replaced. They tried going from th- this murder on the Orient Express into a sort of comedy, and nothing worked. And then on top of all this, as I mentioned at the start of the show, I didn't play the theme music. <clears throat> Why not? Because realistically, there were three, and even if you uh, consider the pilot, four different opens on a show that ran nine episodes. So we're going to go through those really fast uh, with, with the first open and then the modified first open with a little bit different music. And the third one is... What they used, uh, I believe it was starting about show five, once they cleaned house and and retooled it like Chico said earlier. And you could hear differences in the theme song. And um, so here's theme one. open number two.
final open. In addition to the different opens and the different graphics, the music. Oh, the music was amazing. Oh, the music, yeah. The, the music was done by Bob Cobert, who is, he's a living legend. He's like mm-hmm. 95 years old now, still alive, thank heavens. But he made some of the best music ever. He, he's up there with, say, Henry Mancini. Yep. Would you agree? Yes. I would, uh-huh. And, and again, his work is out there. Uh, some of the discotheque tracks that you hear on this show, uh, they recycled them and used it as the theme song to uh, two versions of Chain Reaction in the 80s. Yeah, you sort of hear that in uh, some of the opens, or in one of the opens that, we, uh, that were played just um, a few moments ago. But on top of that, not only do you have Chain Reaction in there, you also, you have this clip. So that music was reused. It was less disco-y, less brassy, and a little bit faster tempo. Do either of you guys know where that was later used about, oh, almost seven years later, about six and a half years later? Would that be the Nipsey Russell 1985 game show, Your Number's Up? Yeah, that was the win thing. When somebody won the car... uh, and I believe it was when they won the the bonus game too. They played that music, and the thing that goes to my mind when I hear that music is I see Nipsey Russell marching around and just acting. Oh my gosh, just like a total goofball. Okay, 
We're going to cover a little commercial ground, but we'll be back, so stick around. So I don't know if you saw this on the Hail to the Chief episode with Billy Barty. Did you see where that music was used, or did you hear where that music was used? Um, can't remember. Do you remember, Greg? If you don't, know I'm going to tell you. But is it is it Chain Reaction? Uh, no, no, no. The, the, this is the Your Number Is Up music. Oh, okay. Did you see where it was used in that show in Hail to the Chief? No. Okay, now, if you listen to it, what does it sound like? It sounds like good traveling music, doesn't it? You're going past, like, uh, let's say the uh, plains in Nebraska or Kansas. That sounds like good traveling music, doesn't it? Yeah. What, what you getting at, Ming? It wasn't used as traveling music. That was music that was actually played in the disco. And they're dancing to it! I'm sorry. No, that is not disco music that I'd be dancing to. I'd be like, okay, all you stop right now, because, spoiler, in six and a half years, Nipsey Russell's going to be marching to that music when somebody wins a friggin' Jetta. Uh-huh. But no, I mean, seriously, it, 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 they used it in the disco, and that's like the least disco-y music that I'd, like, dance to. And, and 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 staying with the hail to the chief stuff, there was a uh, a segment where Billy Barty and his his compatriot, his dwarf compatriot, they were doing something. I think sneaking into somebody's bedroom or something like that. And did you notice what sound effect played when they did that? No. no. You didn't notice. I'm yeah. going to play it right here. It's the sound effect that was used on Jackpot back in the mid to late 80s when somebody got the question wrong and they had to cross over. That that did sound like a little, how can I put this, a little like you're like something's about to uh, happen. Yeah, it did sound like that, like something's going to happen. And they were being very, you know, suspicious. Obviously, it looked like they were, I, I believe, sneaking in somebody's bedroom or, or 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 train car, trying to steal something. And yeah, then they played the the jackpot crossing over music. I thought that was very interesting. But it's a very, yeah, kind of creepy song. You, you knew trouble was going to happen. Yeah, I'll tell you what, in the poker episode, they didn't really go for that. They went for some. They went for like generic. Ooh, something is about to happen. Sort of episode. It's like, yeah, we got Rowdy McDowell, we got Cleavon Little for this episode. It's like, what more else do we need to add to this? Okay, I got an issue with the poker episode, and it isn't about the poker game itself. Now, first off, the type of poker they are playing is not Texas Hold'em. It's not five card stud or draw or anything like that. I don't even know what type of poker they are playing unless they just made it up for the show. Probably just made up for the show. Yeah, but I mean, it, it looked like you know they're like playing Uno, you know, slapping cards down and 
I had no idea what was going on. But the other takeaway from that episode, in the disco, what would you be doing in a disco? Well, if you were at Studio I mean, 54... Do, I'd be doing disco dancing. What would I be doing? I would be doing disco dancing. Somebody would be doing something illicit. Yeah, I mean, if, <laughs> if, this, if this was Studio 54, yeah, I'd probably be doing Lines of Blow with Truman Capote. But... Maybe I shouldn't say that because I, I've never done drugs. Don't do drugs, kids. But, yeah, I mean, somebody would be doing something besides this in a disco. What was somebody doing in a disco with the, the original the original theme to Super Train playing in the background? So, yeah, once they changed themes, they kept the old theme. This was music playing in the disco. And what was happening? Somebody in the disco was watching the poker tournament on a 13-inch TV. Who would watch poker on a 13-inch TV at a disco? A bigger question, Mike, is why are they clo- why is it this this poker tournament on closed circuit and why are people watching this on the train? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, th- this must have been some sort of secretive society or something. But, but you're on you're in a disco. You're there to dance, have fun. And he's sitting in this corner or standing in this corner on uh, watching the poker tournament on a 13-inch television while all the music's blaring in the background and everybody else is discoing. I, that actually leads to the biggest issue of all regarding this show besides, like, just bad acting, very few people of name being on the show. The writing is horrible. Horrible. Who goes on a, a disco in a train and watches a poker tournament. Degenerate gamblers. Well, why would they be watching a poker tournament in a disco? Yeah, make, I, I mean, why, make it easy. Do, do they not have TVs in each of the cabins or the bedrooms or whatever on the train? There's so much to do. I mean, that's like sort of going on a cruise ship, like the Love Boat. T e e. And you just, like, sit in your cabin all day because, oh, look, I'm going to watch whatever TV that, you know, I can't see at home. Oh, I'm going to go on a cruise ship and I'm going to watch Mr. Baseball half a dozen times. Not that it really happened on a cruise ship that I went on back in 1993, but, yeah, it's possible. Don't you dare knock anything Dennis Haysbert was in, damn it. I I wasn't knocking it. I'm, I'm telling an anecdote. Good. But yeah, I mean, it just was so bad, and NBC almost became bankrupt over this. And I gotta thank Greg for this. Greg, I want you to share the the, the link that you sent me earlier regarding Super Train about where one of the models ended up. Okay, in an article from Herald Mail Media, which was published on July first, twenty eighteen, headline: After years of mystery super train arises tv history item purchased by hagerstown shop owners after ben thorburn of coin op warehouse in hagerstown picked up a jukebox he bought from a jewelry dealer in philadelphia the man told thorburn about a train he had in an old barn thorburn didn't know what he would find figuring it was perhaps an old lionel train set thorburn 
climbed into the barn where chickens used to be kept and saw a grouping of dust-covered objects that appeared to be some type of train. It was much bigger than a typical model railroad set, with an engine and cars measuring about two feet wide and about four feet long. It appears some sort of pegagl... It appears some sort of pex... It appears some sort of plexiglass-like material served as windows in the cars, which sported a futuristic design. About a week ago, Thorburn bought the nine-car set for the man, which included long sections of track about 50 feet long in total. When Thorburn bought the train back to Hagerstown, he started searching online to figure out what it was. His research helped him realize what he had, the long-sought-after super train. So this guy found the super train, and based on the dimensions... We sort of assume he got the bigger super train. He didn't get the little model that was on that three thousand foot track. He got the 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 one tenth scale version. And I'm like jealous now. I'm I'm wondering where this guy is. He's not that far away. Hagerstown is Maryland, which may yeah. be about like seven or eight hour drive for me, and probably similar for Chico, maybe a little bit less. And actually, Greg would be closest. But I'm like, want to go down there and say, if you're willing to sell this, I'll give you X number of dollars. X could vary from a very low number to uh-huh. a to to a decent number. But I mean, seriously, I would buy that in a heartbeat, and I would buy like shelving for it. I'd put it down in my basement. I mean, that that's like a curiosity piece. I mean, on top of being history, albeit you know not in a historical sense, more in a hysterical sense, but that is like super cool. It was in a barn in Philadelphia and this guy ended up getting it. So I'm actually very curious to see if, if he still has it. And and like I said, if he's willing to sell it, you know, I I would hope he wouldn't ask for that much, but that's just too cool that the super train is now in the hands of somebody who doesn't really know what it is, or, or does now, but didn't when he bought it. And it was sitting in a barn. I mean, that's like horrible. That's that, that's almost like you know any sort of television history sitting out in the weather for thirty or forty years, or you hear about tr- uh, the mistreatment of some of these tapes uh, that uh, companies had over the years, and they just didn't properly care for them. That's crazy. Crazy cool, though, too, at the same time. So, yeah, Super Train, uh, its legacy, uh, well, it's definitely one of the worst shows of all time. And actually, in 2002, TV Guide uh, ranked it the t- number 28 on its list of 50 worst TV shows of all time. And I'm genuinely curious to know what the other 27 were that were better because... This is a class of its own. But yeah, uh, it was like universally panned. Even the new Super Train, it uh, it just, just didn't generate any, any excitement. I mean, it's sort of like they're polishing a turd, excuse the, the phrase. You know, they, they were... Well, I think you were absolutely accurate there. Yeah, I mean, you, you could polish a turd, but it's still a turd. And obviously they went through three different formats and three different opens in nine episodes. Yeah, th- this was horrible. 
horrible, horrible, horrible. And even now, it's I mean, forty plus years later, it's still the butt of jokes. You know, not many, but the thing is, whenever you hear somebody talk about bad TV shows, invariably the first two names to come to mind are two shows we covered in the last two weeks: Super Train and Hello Larry. Oh my gosh, the the seventies wow. were a bad time for NBC and Super Train. Chico, take it away. Super Train, it was definitely... It was like Super Train was gigantic. It was silver. It was silver and red. It was garish. It was incredible. It was a thing on TV. It was a thing on TV. And it wasn't a good thing on TV. It was... It was a big thing on TV. I mean, I, I did last longer watching Super Train than I did watching Manimal, so yay Fred Silverman? I don't know. <laughs> Let's just say th- this is part of the Fred Silverman legacy, which, by the way, we've been covering for the last couple of weeks, in case you haven't noticed. Yeah, and, and actually this is like the end of the Fred Silverman era for now, because uh, we, we're, um, we, we wanted to cover Hello Larry and Super Train specifically, uh, and then, actually, next week we're going to get into some very special stuff. We'll talk about that in the second episode this week. I'm not going to spoil it just yet. When we put the second episode up, we'll give you a teaser for Christmas because at least one of the episodes, I know all three of us have been, like, chomping at the bit to get at this. Oh, it's going to be a fun episode. One of the episodes is going to be really fun next week. Probably both, but we'll get to that later. So, as always, uh, go to itwasathingontv.com. You'll find all the episodes there. You'll find links to our social media. You'll find our email address. You'll find all sorts of fun stuff there. We'd love to hear from you. And, as always, we thank you very much for your patronage. And uh, until (coughs) the next episode, which is actually going to be very similar to this episode, a bit. I'm not going to tell you how or why. But it's going to be sort of in the same vein as this episode. So, again, as always, thank you to Chico. Thank you to Greg. I'm Mike. And we'll be back later this week with another episode. Take care.